Darren designs these uh, slides each week as a nice cover, and this one I find particularly appealing. <laughs> but I mean, everyone's heard this phrase, right? You are what you eat. You are what you eat. And in some ways that is true because I assure you there are documentaries done. If you go and you eat McDonald's every day for every meal of your life, you will not be very healthy. Because eating like that will make you uh, not around for a very long time. Okay? But according to Yeshua... That statement, you are what you eat, is patently false. Um, Mark 7, Matthew 15, he says, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the individual, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles the individual. So spiritually speaking, you are absolutely not what you eat or defined by it. He goes on to say, do you not understand that everything which goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated into the sewer? But the things which come out of the mouth actually proceed from the heart. These are the things that defile a person. Now, we, we have a difficulty here, actually, because, and, and this difficulty has caused a fair amount of confusion and trouble since these words of Yeshua made their way into the hands of some possibly well-meaning interpreters. I'm not sure if they really were well-meaning, but, you know, what, what, what do these very famous words of Yeshua, what do they justify? Well, the overturning of the kosher laws. And I'm talking about Leviticus here, folks, and that's the book that we're in, and this is our current subject matter, although this is from last week's Torah portion, because here's the way Leviticus works. There's so much in every single portion that I can't pick five different things to talk about from each one. So I'm a week behind. I'm still talking about Leviticus, and we're talking about, you know, more fun things this week, like emissions and, you know, no. Not from your car. <clears throat> but Yeshua's words, these words that I just read you, for possibly billions of his followers, not only did they suggest we are not what we eat, but thanks to interpretations through the ages, it doesn't matter what you eat. That's the interpretation of Yeshua's words. And that is a very familiar story, right? Please tell me. Please tell me someone's appreciating the image that's on the screen. My goodness <laughs> sakes. Cody sent that to me yesterday, not knowing what I was going to be talking about, and like, oh, that is so perfect. It's a package of bacon, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. That is a familiar story, though, right? Jesus came and turned everything upside down, okay? Jesus changed it. The tabernacle, the temple, God no longer dwells in buildings made of stone. Sacrifices? Come on, Jesus was the last one of those. God hates those. They're no more. And we spent the last couple of months, actually, addressing some of those misconceptions. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the calf and the cross and some of the other stuff from February and March. But 
With this text from Jesus, Mark 7, Matthew 15, then Acts 10, Peter's vision, then Romans has multiple discussions, Romans 14 in particular, about food. We see it again. Jesus changed the food laws. That's what the argument and the statement is. That was for Jews under the law. Now, because we are spirit-filled believers who are allowed to disregard them, why? Because Jesus did. Jesus said, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. We are not what we eat, and God doesn't care what we eat because Jesus said so. That's the premise. That's the argument. But is that what he's actually saying? Well, you're sitting in a Messianic synagogue listening to a Jewish teacher, so you might imagine I'm going to bring up some counterpoints to that way of thinking. Would that be surprising to you? Good, let's do that. Number one question I have is, how do, how, how do we get to decide what Jesus changed and didn't change? Have you ever thought about this? Jesus changed the sacrifices, right? Jesus changed the Sabbath. Well, his, his resurrection changed it. Jesus changed the food laws. Jesus changed homosexuality. I mean, that, that doesn't matter. That was, that, that was Old Testament. I mean, that was, that was that old nasty Leviticus stuff, talking about men laying with men. By the way, there's, there are kids in the room, I get this, but lesbianism is a whole nother, that's not even in the Torah. Homosexuality in the Torah has to do with the actual act of the, that famous town where Lot's wife ran out of. But it's in the Old Testament, right? But, but Jesus did away with that. Jesus came and said, love your neighbor as yourself. And by my assessment, that means make love to your neighbor. No matter who your neighbor is, it doesn't matter, male, female. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Whoa! Jesus never said anything like that. And he never said anything anything overturning the food laws either. How do you get to decide from whose interpretation do you get to draw? He never said anything apart from what he heard his Father in heaven say, what the divine impartation of the Logos communicated to him. He was the living word, the Torah made flesh. And so maybe, just maybe, I'm out on a limb here, Jesus didn't change anything regarding God's instruction, maybe. Maybe God was not kidding. Maybe God actually meant to command all of those things that we read about in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy. Is it possible? I think it probably is. God actually does care what you eat. You are not what you eat, but God cares what you eat. Why? Well, first of all, understand one important and recognized component of kashrut. Kosher means fit. It means proper. Kashrut. These are the, the food for consumption. And the Torah, honestly, is pretty quiet on the subject of kashrut. It doesn't have a lot to say about it. We know what we're allowed to eat, but not really why so much. 
I mean, why a split hoof? Why, why can't we eat, you know, chocolate-covered ants? Why can't we have shrimp cocktails? It's not really clear. There are volumes of interpretations, rulings, symbolisms, but they are found outside the biblical text. And for this reason, there's a word attached to the food laws and other laws of Torah, chukim. Say it with me. You don't, don't say kukim. Don't say hukim. I want you to say chukim. Chukim, or chok in the singular, which means a mysterious law. Something that we don't really know the full background behind. We don't exactly know what God was saying when it comes to this. And Paul likes to talk about mysteries, so do I. These are mysterious laws, hukim. But let's talk about God and food for just a little bit. We have a very popular and important uh, holiday coming up. What is it? I wore my matzah suit for it. <laughs> Passover is coming up, right? We're just a few weeks, a couple weeks away, actually. The Zaman Cherutenu, the season of our freedom, the story and the holiday of redemption, the remembrance of Yeshua's death, burial, resurrection, all of this amazing stuff, huge stuff. And what is situated directly in the absolute middle of the celebration of Passover? Food. Have you ever thought about this? Food. What you eat. What are the key elements of remembrance of this hugely significant holiday, which is a word that hardly communicates the sanctity? What's at the center? What you eat. The very story of redemption is told by the food you eat or don't eat. You should not eat leaven. You should eat matzah. You must eat matzah. You must eat bitter herbs, which recall the bitterness of slavery. Matzah, the bread of affliction, but also the bread of freedom. Reminds us of the fact that we didn't even have time. God was moving so quickly. We took this unleavened bread out and you eat it and you remember it and it has a connection. The Pesach itself, the lamb, the sacrifice. We don't do that. The temple doesn't stand anymore. But when the temple stood, what did you bring to the temple with you? <laughs> Dinner. That's what the Pesach was. It was your celebratory meal commanded by God. He cared that you ate that. He commanded that it was to be eaten. When we remember Messiah, what do we do? It freaked everyone out that he said it to, including the disciples. We eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is weird. That sounds weird, but that's what we do. What do we commemorate the body of Yeshua with? Food and liquor. I mean, wine, drink, food and drink commemorates the Messiah. What we put into our body in these holidays has a very, very deep and meaningful significance. And take the contrast Yom Kippur, what is conspicuously absent from Yom Kippur that reminds you and gives you the, the message you need to take home? What are you missing? Food. 
And buddy, I miss it when it's not there. We don't eat, and yet the food has this message, God communicating to us in our abstention from eating. There are all these laws surrounding how we remember God through food, very specific laws, with one very important purpose. Well, two. Two purposes. To remind you of who God is and who you are in Him. That's what He's doing through food. He is serious about food. On special occasions, the food is an anchor to the celebration. What you put in your body means something. It has this deep symbolic. If, you, if, you, if you'll let me be a little weird and esoteric, your food has power. It has a spiritual power. And yes, that sounds weird like eating flesh and drinking blood, but it's true. As a side note, Kelly and I had breakfast at Cracker Barrel last week. As I perused the menu, I saw the special edition. For the upcoming holiday, and you know the word for, for holiday in Hebrew is Chag, right? Chag Sameach, Chag Pesach Sameach, have a happy Passover. The special Cracker Barrel edition, the Easter Ham Spectacular, which I made up this thing Come and celebrate your hog with our hog. Right? Huh? Our hog, your hog with our hog. Pigs, ham, on Easter, you get it? Okay, good. Good. Or, no, I'll leave it there because it, it, it just, there are so many ways we could go. For the Easter hog, get your fill of hog. And I couldn't help but think about that in relation to what I'm saying. It was probably the inspiration, actually, for what I'm saying. Thank you, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> for the pancakes and for this. I really can't think of a more compelling and equally disturbing example of the effect of this idea that God doesn't care what we eat and that Jesus has done away with all that stuff. Right? To replace the matzah, the maror, the lamb, even though we can't eat that right now, to replace those, to consider the Messiah of Israel who died for the sins of the world, who came teaching the fullness of the Torah to everyone, to Jews, to the nations, to fulfill it within us, as we discussed in a previous series, to really ponder the fact that that has been replaced and symbolized by a ham. And that that's the North American traditional meal is, is, is what greater rejection could there be than that? And that's not a, a criticism. I'm just saying it. that's coming from the place of ignorance that's been created by the fact that teaching like what I suggested at the beginning has been promulgated for 2000 years. That the Messiah of Israel, we celebrate his life by eating a glazed, honey-baked ham. That seems weird. Well, he said it doesn't matter. Well, stop, just for a second. Stop. Imagine this. Jesus, the Son of God, eating a pork sandwich. 
and telling his disciples, it's okay, do whatever you want. The food doesn't matter. It's only what comes out of your heart. It's almost disgusting to me, actually. It's almost disgusting to me, actually, as a Jew, to imagine Jesus, Yeshua, sitting there with a big plate of slathery ribs, chomping down on pork and saying, I don't care. It doesn't matter. And I want to tell you this, and I say this all the time. If he did it, we are in a hell of a pickle. Speaking of food. Because there's no redemption in his name if he did it. Because he's a Torah violator. He broke the food laws. He's not perfect. If he furthermore instructed his disciples to violate Torah and do whatever you want to do with that because it doesn't matter, he's not your Messiah. He is a heretic. He is a perpetrator of lawlessness. Do you believe that that's who Jesus the Christ is? Of course not. So how incredibly irreconcilable is it to think of him making these instructions or giving that type of image? It's so very contrary to everything I read and know. So contrary, not to mention, and this is the most important part, people can say all day long, it's in the Bible. He says it. Let me tell you what he says. Because sometimes we interpret things and we don't really understand what they're saying because it is difficult to read a book that's 2,000 years old or 3,500 years old. But I, because he loves you so much, he said it. You ready? Here's what it is. Matthew. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you also still lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and those things defile the person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, acts of adultery, other immoral sexual acts, thefts, false testimonies, and slanderous statements. These are the things that defile the person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the person. Do you understand what I just said? He gives you the entire purpose of every word he's saying. The argument is about eating with unwashed or washed hands. And he says it. Eating with unwashed hands cannot defile you. However... However, he never would have even considered the idea that they would be eating food that was prohibited by the Torah. Eating kosher food with unwashed hands will not defile you. That does not mean you don't need to wash your hands and pick up the ribs and rub the barbecue sauce all over your face and get one of those wet naps and just pork it up. That is not what it means. Eating with unwashed hands cannot defile you. This is Jewish context. Because there was a ritual argument about whether you needed to wash your hands. And that makes the point of saying, 
Seriously, guys, when they asked him, why do your disciples note that too? And I'm just now I'm way off the track here. Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? They never said, why don't you wash your hands? Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And he says, seriously? You're, you're living the life you're living and treating people the way you treat them and, and not taking care of your own parents and you're actually going to push that argument? You have abandoned the weightiest matters in light of something so trivial. Don't you understand anything? That's the argument. That's the discussion. You got it? I didn't even mean to do that. I'm sorry. I just, this is a passionate thing. I'm passionate about it because I think it, 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 I think it hurts people. God is very serious about what we eat on special occasions like Passover. Why would it be odd or out of his character that every day when we engage in this act of eating that it would evolve some, some particularity, some choice, some restriction, some remembrance? It's not odd. The laws may be mysterious, but it's incredibly practical. And I'll say it this way. You are not what you eat, but you are what you repeat. Okay. Renowned Torah scholar, Nora Lebo, uh, Nechama Leibowitz. There are food laws in all kinds of ancient cultures. Most of those food laws involve the animal itself being evil, so you didn't put that animal inside of you because it would make you evil. They're evil. They're gods and all this other kind of weird stuff that they were into. The animals, you know, stay away from them. But on God's menu, that's obviously not in play because what's intended to happen is that the animals that you eat are good for you. The animals that you don't eat are good for you, spiritually speaking. It's about you. It's not about the evil animals. The, the, these, these choices are to help you remember to some things, particularly how to limit yourself, to strive to be the best version of you. And how does that work? Well, it's not very difficult. Every time you order a meal or every time you go to the grocery store or every time you sit down and engage in the life-sustaining activity of nourishing your body, you will remember who God is and who you are in Him. That's not complicated. It's limiting. It's... It's a little bit difficult, and I don't want to beat this evil inclination horse to death that I've been talking about lately, but every single day when you choose what you eat because you believe and feel that God gave that instruction, you are beating down that natural animal instinct part of you that says, give it all to me, whatever, I'll take it all. I'm an animal. Now, you are what you repeat. Every single choice you make in that regard, or for any observance of a mitzvah, you are what you repeat. It defines you. It's hard to think of that. Listen, I, I am not an idealist. I am not, I am not suggesting that every single time that, that, that we sit down to a meal and every time I choose to not have a, a BLT, 
that I fall upon my knees. Baruch Hashem, thank you. You're recreating me, God. Like, it's not that dramatic. But in a certain way, every choice you make is strengthening your identity. And every choice that strengthens who you are in God helps you later to fight the real battles that you're going to have to really think about. The real battles that come down the pike. Now that's a pretty dramatic way to look at dinner, I know. But what's tragic is most people never even consider that. It never even gets on the radar. You know that. They don't have the chance because someone told them a long time ago that they don't have to. That it's not even, doesn't even merit a thought. Jesus in the bacon package is funny because I love Jesus and I love bacon. <laughs> I was doing some research and I read something about eating, bi biblical eating, and someone said, well, it's against my religion because it's not breakfast if a pig didn't die. <laughs> I'm like, Wow. Man, serious about food. But listen, every single dietary message, I think of how much I love Cajun food. Shrimps. Days barbecue shrimp. Days, no. Crawfish, andouille sausage. I think about every other abominable Leviticus prohibited creature that's eaten in Louisiana. I think about Cuban food. Masas de puerco. Cuban pork chunks, arroz, arroz con frijoles negra, rice with black beans, probably stewed in lard. Yes, I'm Jewish and never probably should have eaten those foods. Not probably. Shouldn't have eaten those foods. <laughs> but listen, I was in the church for 10 years. They told me I could. But in reality, that's not something Jesus would say. Because God, Yeshua knew Torah inside and out. So there's rarely a day that goes by when deciding what to eat doesn't require some pause and consideration. Listen, I don't, I don't live an orthodox kosher lifestyle. I'm not an orthodox Jew. I, at a period of time in my life, when I was young and then way later, gave it a, gave it a shot, but... It's, I'm, I'm not that. And I'm not saying any of this to try to talk about exaggerated holiness. I'm not suggesting that you need to live an orthodox kosher lifestyle. But I am suggesting that you do what the Didache says. Do it all. But if you can't do it all, do what you can. I mean, that's a cop-out. Jesus declared all foods clean. That's a cop-out, and it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity, because here's what I'm going to end with. The kosher laws are really not that big of a mystery. Here's the deal. And in some way, I, I'm not arguing with Yeshua, but in some way, we are what we eat. It represents something. It represents, most of all, you are what you repeat. And every repeated choice of how you eat 
does sanctify you before God. I'm sorry. I know people get really ticky about food. They really do. What do you think? What do you think? Hannah, what do you think? Because you're not eating pork, you think you're holier than I am? I mean, food makes people furious. And they really do. They think that you're trying to, like, hold one over on them. And what I want to say is, this has absolutely nothing to do with you. I never even thought about you for one split micro, nano, milli, trillionth of a second. I read the Bible. My goodness, I read the Bible. And it says, be holy for I am holy. Regarding the food laws, it says that. As much as it says in Leviticus 19, where it's teaching you to love God and love your neighbor. Same thing, ethical function. Ethical function, be holy for I am holy in what you eat. Now, I know that I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm preaching to the choir so that you can preach to the broader choir out there with some backup, with some, some simple points, okay? The ordinary act of eating is injected with an awareness of who God is and who we are in Him. You are strengthening yourself in the powers of self-control, demonstrating one of the greatest gifts, of fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep it food here. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. If you can't even control what you put in your mouth, how in the world do you expect to live a disciplined life in any way? You are training yourself toward accepting a disciplined life in something as mundane as eating. You are honoring your Messiah who surely, surely would not have instructed you to disregard the Father's instruction. He would not have done that. I'm sorry, he just wouldn't. So food is awesome in so many ways. But I mean that like in the fullest spiritual definition. When I say food is awesome, this is going to sound weird. I mean supernatural. Like who could imagine such a thing that God could speak to you through your food? We are weird around here. Beautifully weird. Beautifully peculiar. A strange people a separated people like God called all of his people to be. So we're praying, preparing to eat matzah in just a few weeks, but start now, not eating matzah, but imbuing every meal with a recognition of the power of choice. To know that Hashem speaks through everything and we are his obedient children. We have an amazing choice to hear his voice. When? At every single meal. And if you're like me, that's a lot of times a day. You are, or at least you become, what you repeat. So friends, in all things, but even in your menu, make good choices. It will pay off. Shabbat shalom. Beteavon. You know what that means? Beteavon in Hebrew. Beteavon. It means bon appetit. Good eating. Beteavon. Shabbat shalom. Let's stand up. 
Next week, I think we'll get to dive into leprosy. That's going to be exciting. The fun keeps coming in the book of Leviticus.